So good to a bit of life in here this morning. First service, like it was bad. It was like really, really bad. Till we realised that everyone had been sitting up watching the royal wedding. Then we realised why. I'd been watching the footy. And um, then I went down and Marilyn had the tally on in the bedroom watching the wedding. So I took my pillows and went into the spare room. So I feel great. Yeah, <laughs> that was really good. We had a really interesting lady in our service this morning. She was a Christian, so she was honest, but she was, she was an Australian. She was a solicitor and she'd worked in the tax office. What an amazing combination, eh, for a, an honest Australian, eh? You can't get much better than that, can you? <laughs> That's awesome. Hey, we've got another little video we just want to show you. We just finished our, um, our, our um, new sports field down at the uh, campus at, Botan- at uh, Golflands, and uh, we had the opening there on Friday. We just got a little aerial view of that. You may see some of the new buildings which will be completed in a couple of months just in the background. So let's... That awesome, isn't it? What an amazing facility. You just see the buildings over there. That's a secondary uh, two-story middle school and the other one just there, the single story also be the middle school. The reason I wanted to show you that is, uh, you know, some of you are thinking, well, I haven't got children in the school, so it doesn't really uh, affect me. The, The reason is that we're able to have facilities like we have there is really because of this congregation. The fact that you've been so faithful in your giving, you've been so supportive of the vision that the leaders have had of the church with what we wanted to do with church and school. And that's enabled us to have the strength that we have today to be able to do it. And our vision is to not just have a church and a school here in the east of Auckland, but to do that across our city so that there's a 20-minute drive that anyone can get to a great church and a great school. And uh, we have an application in with the ministry at the moment for a secondary school on our land of Pukekohe. And uh, we um, encourage you just to pray for that. We'll find favour with the ministry uh, to be able to do that. Uh, We've got a vision that we see that also in uh, the Jewry area out west and uh, develop our city uh, campus there. We have an inner city school and uh, have a teacher's training college to supply teachers for all our schools. So uh, just pray and, uh, you know, get behind that. We thank you for what you've done to date. And, uh, you know, it's amazing though, even though, you know, you may not have children going through, it's amazing just how many grandchildren now are coming through uh, in the school. So there's a generational thing uh, that is happening there, so we really appreciate that. Okay, we've got a new series, brand new series from the Old Testament book of Haggai, and Haggai was a minor prophet uh, at a time when the nation of Israel were in captivity, and uh, his great message to us is, the time is now. The time is now. I know that many wake up at a certain stage uh, of life, and there's uh, and this unsettling, this sinking feeling, and uh, you, you may be at this point where... Uh, It's not necessarily a midlife crisis or something like that, but you just get to a point, it could be at any age, where you you think there there should be more. There should be more than what I'm experiencing at the moment. Whatever it is, you know, I'm kind of surprised that I am where I am. And and it it could be like you're at university and you think, I would have thought at this stage of my life, I would have known what I wanted to do when I finished university. Or maybe you finished university and you've got out and you got your degree and you thought, you know, I, I would think that I would have had a job by now which 
uh, would have been more fulfilling. I kind of feel, you know, that I've, I'm not working to my capacity. There should be more than what I'm experiencing at the moment. Or maybe you're at an age where you think, oh, I would have thought at this age that I would have been married or I'd be having children now. Or maybe you're married and you've got children and you're kind of thinking, well, I would have thought that they would have filled the void, but um, now I'm tired and I'm broke. And I just don't feel, you know, that this, well, maybe you think, well, try this religious thing. And so you try religion and uh, your life doesn't really change. And you think, well, you know, I just would have thought there would have been more in life at this stage, something better, something different. You know, maybe you're in the um, motorcycle group and you've got a Royal Enfield and you would have thought, you know, you'd have a Harley Davidson by now. You know, that, that would be the next stage you're in. But this was the mood in which Haggai was written. And the people were saying, I really, really thought that we would have been in a different stage by now. And uh, before we dive into the book of Haggai, I want to just go back a little bit there and look at the backstory behind the main story. And so if you go back a little bit, uh, the story is that King Solomon, he built this beautiful temple. It was such a spectacle. People traveled from all over the known world at that time to see it, to come there and to worship there. It was just outstanding. But after King Solomon died, uh, we find that the people's hearts turned away from God. They got distracted like often people do. They began to worship idols. And so God allowed a series of events to take place in their lives to try and turn their hearts back to him again. And so in 587 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar, he came through, he crushed the southern kingdom of Judah, totally destroyed the temple, took the people into captivity. They were in captivity for 70 years. They couldn't worship as they wanted to. They couldn't please themselves what they did. Their children would have been born in captivity. This was like, this was their worst nightmare had come true for them. And you can only imagine their relief in 538 BC that there was 50,000 of them were allowed to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple again. Like this was, this was like something they had dreamed about. The, the temple was a picture of their national identity. This was who they are. They were a people that worshiped the one true God. And so the temple was, was like a, a national idea. This is where self-esteem is a, is a people. And so to be allowed to go back home and to be allowed to rebuild the temple again as a people, this was like getting their identity back again. And you can only imagine like the relief and the excitement that they must have felt about this. This was their dream. This was what they dreamed about for, for decades. And, and so they went back and they started to rebuild the temple. They built the foundations and they built the altar. And then the Samaritans came in and opposed the work that they were doing. And suddenly they're like, this has got hard. This has got difficult. And uh, it's, this is, maybe this is just not the right time. Maybe we shouldn't be doing this now. Maybe this is not God's will. And so this is the, the, the story. So for about 14 years, the people didn't work on the temple. And so like for decades, this was all they had thought about, all they had dreamed about. But when it got difficult, they put the project on hold. And instead of actually working on God's house, guess what they did? Well, we find that they actually started building their own houses. And they built very, very nice houses and they forgot about God's house. So what God did was he raised up the prophet Haggai to come and to call the people back to rebuild the temple for God. 
And so that's where the background to it. So we're going to dive into verse 2 of Haggai chapter 1. And it starts off, and this is kind of funny the way that it starts off. And uh, it's there in your notes if you want to get them out. Haggai chapter 1 and verse 2, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say... The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. The reason that this, I find this kind of humorous is that whenever God's talking about his people, he talks about my people. It's my people. You know, if my people will do this, if my people will do that. But then all of a sudden he talks about these people. This is like, like Marilyn used to do to me when the kids did something wrong. You know, like... I don't know if it happens in your house and God doesn't have a wife, so he can't say, you know, um, these are your kids or whatever. But, you know, he says, these people, Marilyn would do that. I come home from work, you know, and you never know what your kids do, did today. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking, like, if my memory serves me correctly, you were there at the time they were conceived. Now, it's, now the kids are gone and they've left home, you know. It's, you never believe what your dog did today, you know. Like, oh, come on. <laughs> so guys, like these people are saying the time is not now to build my temple. The time's not now, you know. And, and why did they think that it wasn't now? Well, it wasn't now, they thought, because they received opposition. The Samaritans were opposing them. You know, it's so funny, isn't it? So often when we receive opposition, we're thinking, oh, it's not God's will. It's too, too hard. It can't be right. You know, the opposite can be true. You know, we need to understand that the closer we get to doing something that really matters to the heart of God, the more likely we are to face opposition. You see, opposition is not necessarily a sign that God is against you. A lot of times it's a, a sign that you are doing what God wants you to do. I don't really worry too much when people are opposing me. I worry when nobody is. You know, it's probably I'm not doing anything. There's nothing to oppose. And so uh, when we're doing something that is for the glory of God, often we, can, we will experience opposition. The moment you start to move forward, the moment you start to do something, the moment you start to be obedient to God, you know, you, you can mark it down. There will be spiritual opposition on the way. And a little saying, you know, the nail that sticks up gets clobbered. You've got a little nail on your deck or something and, you know, you catch it with your boot. What you do, you go out to the garage, you get the hammer and whack. You, you clobber it, you know. It's like that game at Rainbow's End that used to be where the heads popped up and you, you whack it. The moment somebody tries to put their head up, the moment somebody tries to do something great, you will find there will be opposition. You will be clobbered. It will happen. That is life. It's like, the, you know, the story of the guy that's fishing and he's got the bucket of crabs here and he's got no lid on it. And someone comes along and says, you better put a lid on that. The crabs will get out. He says, no need to. He says, every time one crab tries to climb up the side to get out, the others pull him back again. You know, life is like that, isn't it? You know, the moment someone tries to do something great, tries to uh, reach out above the normal, somebody will try and pull you back into the crowd again. Let me just give you some principles from the story uh, that we can pick up and build into our own lives. The first thing I've got down here is that we need to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Over and over again, just tell yourself, God, with, with your help, enable me, empower me to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. 
you know, maybe just easy to quit focusing upon God and be focusing upon myself. Uh, it would be hard and right, you know, to build the temple. There may be somebody that really uh, does something that is, uh, hurts your feelings and, and, you know, it'd be easy to get angry and get upset with them. It would be hard and right to forgive them and to move on from that. You know, it could be uh, easy just to, you know, spend more and more and just get yourself deeper and deeper in debt, but it would be hard and it would be right to get yourself out of debt so that you can be free from that and get on and move into what God has got for you. You know, it is hard and right, but you need to do that, make the decision. It's easy, you know, as, as followers of Jesus Christ, you know, there are things that we have to make choices, but with the help of God, we can choose the hard and the right uh, over the easy wrong. And this is what the prophet is trying to do. He's trying to empower the people to do this. He's essentially saying to them, look, the time is now. The time is now. I want you just to think for a moment and just ask yourself, has there been a time? You know, it may just been something recent. It may have been even some time ago. For the people here, it was 14 years. It may be some time where God has put something on your heart and, and uh, you know, something that you began or maybe you should have begun but you haven't begun, uh, some unfinished assignment which you may have there over your life and it could have been some time ago, it could have been yesterday and, uh, you know, uh, for many of you, God needs to speak to you the same way as that he spoke to the people way back here in this time of Haggai. He comes and says, the time is now. You know, you need to get up and do that. You'll come to the end of your life and you'll look back with regrets. The time is now. You need to move on it. It says here in verse three, it says, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Can you see this phrase comes up over and over again as we look at this book? says, you know, uh, God says, give careful thought to your ways. He says, think about how you are living. He says, is it time for you to live in your paneled houses while my house lays in ruins? You think, what on earth is a paneled house? Well, according to the commentaries I've read, it is like high-end living. It's a real nice house they're talking about here. You know, we've got all this kind of stuff. And God is not against us having nice stuff. You know, God wants to bless us. God wants to prosper us. We can do far more to, uh, for his kingdom, for his service, if, if, if we're in a position where we're able to do more for, for him. You know, it's hard to do something out of poverty, isn't it? God wants to bless us. He wants to give us nice things. He's not against us uh, having nice things, but he's against us putting nice things before him. You know, he doesn't want nice things to have us. So God says to them in verse 6, he says, you have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in them. Let me give you a modern translation. You're working your tail off or you're working your butt off, but you don't seem to be getting ahead. It's basically what he's saying here. He says, you know, you're pouring your life into a career, but it still feels empty and hollow. He says, you have more than you've ever had before, but you still don't feel satisfied. You entertain yourself. You go to games, you go to movies, you, you, you go and eat out, but there's still a longing in your heart for something more. And at this point, the people are putting their own comfort ahead of God's house. And God's 
comes and says, give careful thought to your ways. Is there something that you're putting ahead of God? Give careful thought to your ways. God wants us to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Second thing that he says, put down here, is to break your decision down to small steps. Break your decision down to small steps. You know, they're kind of thinking, oh, we've got to build this temple, but we don't feel we can do it. It's too big. It's too big a project for us. We'll never manage it. There's opposition. It's difficult. It is like so hard. Watch how, you know, God, he's just a loving God. This is what God comes and says to them in verse 7. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. He breaks it down into three simple steps on how to build the temple. He says, this is what I want you to do. He says, number one, he says, go up the mountain. He says, number two, bring down the timber. Number three, build my house. And uh, let me say it again in case you missed it. This is what God said to do. Go up to the mountain, bring down the timber, build my house. You know the little saying, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. God breaks it down into little steps. Go up to the mountain. Think, Wait a minute, have you seen that mountain? Like a steep. Man, that's, like, that's going to be hard work. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. You know, bring down the timber. Oh, that's hard again. Look at big trees. You know, try chopping those trees and carrying them all the way down the hill. That's like, that's going to be hard work, you know, do it. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong and build the temple step by step. Here's how you're going to do it. One, two, three. Here's the problem. Most of us are going, but God, what about steps four, five, and six? Yeah. I need details. Who's going to pay the bills? You know, how's this going to happen? Where are we going to go? How are we going to be there? Am I going to get a tax write-off on this if, if I do it? You know, I need to know the details. You know, how long do I have to be involved in this job? You know, what sort of time do I have to set aside? How's it going to work out? And if I do all of this, will I get my name on a plaque on the temple? I'll be really upset if I do all this work and then my name's not there to recognize all the effort that I put in to building this temple. God says, don't worry about steps four, five, and six. You know, just do one, two, and three, my word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. If I'm going down to Wellington, I do not need the whole motorway from here to Wellington. We haven't got a motorway from here to Wellington, but the whole street from here to Wellington lit up. All I need is just enough light for me to take the next step. Make a decision. One, two, three. Choose the hard right over the easy wrong. Do the next step that God has showed you to do. And then number three, the outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. See, we have no idea what is on the other side of obedience. You know, it is called taking steps of faith. We are Christians. That's what we're supposed to do. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That is part of our journey as Christians. We are called to take steps of faith. And ultimately, you do what God calls you to do. 
If you're supposed to reach out to somebody that hurt you, okay, you take that step, you reach out. If they don't respond well, you are not responsible for how they respond to that. You're just responsible for the obedience. See, the outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is ours. You just do what God has called you to do. You know, often we don't start something because fear of failure. Yeah, I know that feeling. I've had that in projects that we've done, stepping out, and how's this thing going to work out? Remember, before I even started the church, I wrote it all down. I wanted a church of a 1,000 people. I wanted a school. I wanted a preschool. I wanted a Bible college. I wanted to have a Christian bookshop. Wrote it all down on a piece of paper before we even started the school in the school hall. Like some people did not appreciate or understand that. You know, I said, oh, I want a church of a 1,000 people. Big churches were a dirty word in those days. Beaumont Street, a big church in the city was in trouble. There's another church in South. Big building projects, church building projects were in trouble. And so they were a dirty word. But that's what God had put on my heart to do. What if it fails? It's scary. We know that. What if it doesn't work out? You know, I've learned, I've realized that it is not failure, but it is low aim that is the sin. You know, we, we need to take the step and trust God with the outcome. I would rather attempt to do something great and fail than attempt to do nothing and succeed. The outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is yours. And you will find that the journey with God becomes just as important as the destination. If you read in you know, Hebrews, a great men and women of faith, not all of them saw the promise. But it didn't really matter. Because if you're taking steps of faith and you're, and you're trusting God and you're close to God, the outcome is God's responsibility. You will find that the journey becomes just as important. The things that you learn, the things that you experience, the companionship of God, you know, the answers to prayers, the things become just as important. The journey becomes as important as the destination. Maybe you're feeling like, you know, you're just not winning. Let me say to you this morning, maybe God is adjusting your priorities. Look at verse 9. He says, you expected much, but you see it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and on the grain and on the new wine, the olive oil and everything else the ground produces on people, on livestock and on all the labor of your hands. What God is saying here is that, you know, you are working your butt off and it's coming to nothing. Just maybe it's not the devil, maybe it's God. God is saying, I blew it away. I'm the one that called for the drought. It is possible, you know, that God is redirecting your priorities at this stage. Let me ask you, is there some unfinished assignment in your life? You know, is there something that God has put on your heart, something you've carried maybe for ages? You know, it still sits there, it still, it still troubles you. You know, don't, don't come to a place where God has to raise up a Haggai to come and to speak into you and to make it happen. You know, choose the, the, the hard right over the easy wrong. Take that step of faith that God wants you to do. Don't just say, you know, have God come and say to you, that person, you are his son, you are his daughter. Let him come to you as a heavenly father to come and to bless you and to guide you. The time is now. God gives us the assignment 
we're called to be obedient. We're going to choose the hard right over the easy wrong. We're going to take the next small step. We're going to trust God with the outcome. The time is now. Obedience is our responsibility. Let's just pray. Father, I just pray for that, Lord. Over great people like this, oh God, there are many dreams. Lord, there are many things, oh God, Lord, that you've put in our hearts, Lord, to do great things for you. You have called us for such a time as this. You've called us to build your kingdom, Lord, not just to build our own kingdom. And Father, I just pray, oh God, Lord, you'll stir our hearts afresh today. Lord, as we read these great principles out of your word uh, in the time of Haggai, Lord, they, they are living principles that were written for our example. Lord, let us just take those things and build them into our life. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all just stand, shall we, as we close our service this morning.